Amen. Good morning, church. Oh, I was told if uh, the, the, the audience is ready to go, so if I screw up, and you, you get, that's on me. So I was told that. Uh, my name's Simon. I am one of the pastors here. If you are new, welcome. There are so many new faces lately, and we've been really excited to see everyone uh, who's been coming and showing up and, and seeing what God's been doing here. And, and for those that are uh, watching at home, just love having you. And I would say this. I've been thinking about this and praying about this. Um, Things have been changing, and they have been lifting a lot of the restrictions that have been going on. I know a lot of us have been really cautious and careful because we don't want to put ourselves in a precarious situation. But if you're at home and, and you've thought through this and prayed that, we'd love to have you come back and join us. We'd love to have you in the room and worship with us. Um, we love having the option for live stream, but we know that that is never going to fully encapsulate who we are as a church and what happens when we're here. So I just want to encourage you, if you can and you're able, we'd love to have you come back because we miss you and we want, to, we want to see you. So with that, I want to just kind of move into where we've been. We've been in our study in 1 John and we've been kind of chugging through that. And maybe you've noticed as you've been going to the grocery store and you're standing in line because they say 15 items and they've got 20 and you're like, why would you do that? And you have to look around and maybe you've seen the magazine covers. And around this time of year, you'll start to notice that the covers start to have pictures or depictions of Jesus. Have you noticed that? They're starting to come out. It's, it's very much that Eastery, you know, Good Friday, Holy Week, Palm Sunday. It starts to happen. And there's a reason. Because here's the thing. It's hard to deny that there was a man named Jesus that came and lived we have the Bible that has accounts of it. We have other accounts that are outside of the Bible that have an account of Jesus coming. And so everyone's got to do something with this figure, Jesus. That Who is he? What did he come for? What was he about? And a lot of people say a lot of different things. They'll say, oh, he was a, a great Jewish teacher. Uh, he was a, a prophet who spoke for the Lord. Some would say that, you know, honestly, he was a, a social justice warrior in the, in the truest sense and that he really turned society upside down and all the norms of society, what was going on. Some would say, well, he was just a pacifist who was like Gandhi, who lived in a way of love and just kind of promoted that lifestyle. Some would even say, honestly, there really never was a Jesus. He was really more of an idea or a thought. Or he was just a good person and we should just try to be like this guy, Jesus. Regardless, the world has to do something with the man that came. They have to do something with the historical account of this individual that really did change everything. Like how we lump time is about this man. Like that, that really defines everything. And what John wants to do is he wants to kind of break away for a moment as we entered into the second section of 1 John, which is God is love. He kind of like teed it up and he wants to pull back really quick. And he wants to give them a warning about what it means when people start teaching about who Jesus is, especially as he moves into this idea of God being love, that it's going to show us how we can know as followers of Christ when the teaching is false and when the teaching is true. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6. You can follow along on the screen. You can use your app. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, we want to give you one as a free gift. They're in the back. Please grab those. It says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to just open up your word, that you would speak to us this morning. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, uh, reveal in our hearts what needs to be revealed. Holy Spirit, I ask that I just wouldn't get in the way this morning as we go through your scriptures, as we look at what your word said, that you would use that to convict the hearts of those that need to be convicted that you would encourage those that need to be encouraged, that you would build up those that need to be built up with where they are, and that you would solidify the stance that a believer has this morning and who they are in you. I love you. Pray all these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. So what we see here right off the bat is John's going to give us two commands. He's not going to hold back. He's going to jump right into it, and he's going to have these two commands. And the first one is, do not believe every spirit. So that's the first command that he gives us. And the second command is, test the spirits, that there is some kind of testing that people will be communicating, led by a spirit in one way or the other, and we need to not believe every spirit. There's some that we should and some that we shouldn't, and that there then is a test of how we go about and do that. And John is going to do the thing that he always does, which is do like heavy contrast whenever he teaches. And he's going to lump everyone into two groups that teach about God and teach about Jesus. The first one are those that are from God and the Spirit of God. And the second are false prophets and the spirit of error. Those are the two groups that he's going to lump everybody into when they communicate about Jesus. Now, he reminds them that many false prophets have gone into the world already. And let's be clear, this has always happened since the very beginning. As soon as Jesus hit the scene, there has always been false prophets that have communicated. It can be in person, it can be in a letter, it can be on TV, it can be on the radio, it can be a podcast or a blog or an Insta Snap or whatever new thing that you're using right now. I don't know, but there's always going to be crazy talk about who Jesus is. Well, the question is this. How do we know who's crazy and how do we know who's not crazy what what they're saying? Now, when I say the word false prophet, this is what I mean. Because you may be like, I don't know that term. I don't know what you're talking about. A false prophet is a deliberately deceptive person pretending to be a prophet. Well, now we got to do more definitely. Like, what's a prophet? Well, when I say prophet, I mean anyone who claims to speak for God. That's what a prophet would be. In the Old Testament, we have the minor prophets and the major prophets, and God would say, hey, this is what I want you to go tell the people, and they would go and communicate that message. They weren't making up messages. They were just doing what God had told them to do. So that's what we're talking about. And whether they understand it or not, they are under the influence of something. When they talk about God, they're under the influence of something. That's really what John is trying to communicate to these individuals. Now, this is not a new idea 
that people would try to mislead others when it comes to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this while he was here. He's like, this is going to happen. Like, I, I'm letting you know this will take place. And so normally I give you guys a lot of verses and I say, look them up later. Go do your homework. Well, no homework this week, everybody. I'm going to read the verses for you. <laughs> Brian's very happy. He's an elder. We'll talk later. Um, Matthew 24, 24 says this. This is Jesus stalking. The false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonder so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Jesus is like, this is going to happen. In um, 1 Timothy 4, 4, 1 says, Now this, the Spirit express, expressively says that in later times some will depart from the faith and devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So this is not uncommon. And so then we also have in 2 Peter 4, 3 through 4 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate. Accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is a reality that we knew was going to happen when Christ came. He said, this is going to happen. And then all the guys that came are like, and this is going to happen. And, they're going to, and they, just, they just followed all along. That it's, this is going to be something that's going to happen. Now, here's the thing. There's good news in all this. That John is going to give us the litmus test of how we can tell who is from God and who is not, so that we will not be led astray. Because remember, John loves these individuals. He doesn't want them led astray. And John loves the church, and he loves those who love Jesus, so he doesn't want us led astray as well. This is for us as well. We need a standard. We need to have a standard to hold all teachers up to, and we need a doctrinal standard, and and John will give us two. The first one is this, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's the first one that we want to look at and we want to understand. Now, you may ask, why is this important? Now, we have to remember who John is communicating this letter to and what was going on during that time. Now, we had talked about that there was Gnostic teachings that were going on, and they had a lot of interesting views about who God is. And one of them was that they thought that all flesh was evil, that everything that had to do with the material world was evil, and so therefore you had to reject that. Well, the problem was they kept saying that Jesus came in the flesh. So now there's this conundrum of what's going on. And they were saying things like, well, he didn't really come in the flesh. He was just kind of was there in spirit. And so you kind of saw him and you kind of didn't. But he left before he got killed on the cross. Like there's all this stuff. And they say, no, you, we can't do that. This Gnostic teaching is wrong. It's leading people astray. See, we're talking about the incarnation of God as Jesus Christ. And what we have is this really cool picture that um, I want to read through in 1 John. 1 John gives us just one of these, um, these visuals that I think is good for us to see, the way it's written. I'm going to start in verse uh, 1 through 5, and then there's like a weird break in the way it's written, and he picks back up in verse 14. I'm going to read 1 through 5, then I'm going to land on 14 to understand what's being communicated when we're talking about Jesus being in the flesh. It says, in the beginning was the Word. By the way, the Word means Jesus. So if you're like, what does that mean? He's talking about Jesus, hence the capital W. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's drop down to 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we just know right off the bat, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to earth and that he became flesh. That, and, and you go, well, why is that good for me? There's a lot of religions that have a lot of gods that are very distant, that they're very far off, that are not involved in humanity. We have a God that came to earth, that was born, that had a mother, that had a father, that lived a life, that went through adolescence, that was tempted in every way, that understands what it means to be completely human. Think about that. Our God understands us completely because he experienced what we experienced. Our God can relate to us. That is so good for us to understand that our God relates to us because he came in the flesh. He walked amongst us perfectly. He relates to us perfectly and lived a perfect life. That he lived the life that we could not live. And that he lived that life in a way that pleased God perfectly. Hebrews would say it this way in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He sympathizes with us because he understands where we have been and where we are going and how because of sin we are unable to live the life that we were supposed to live. That's, that's, that's good news. He was able to live a life that means that he pleased God. And if we have placed our life in the life of Christ, our lives now please God because we are in Christ. You see how we can come before the throne of God now? Because we are attached to his life, not our life. If he had not been in the flesh, then he would not be able to become our sacrifice. And therefore, he wouldn't be able to take the wrath of God away from us, and we would still be under that penalty and deserve the wrath of God poured out on us for the sins that we've committed. If he didn't die, then we can't pay for that. That that idea is that he became our substitution, that he took our place where we belonged in our punishment. He said, I will step in. I will take that place for you because I can meet that requirement. Here's where it gets weird. If if he wasn't in the flesh, why did he need to be resurrected? Resurrected from what? If he died, if if he wasn't in the flesh, how could he die? Then why would he need to be resurrected? Why would he need to come back? And if he... And if he realized, like, he even came and walked among his disciples after he had risen from the dead. He said, touch me, eat with me. Eating is the thing that we do when we live in the physical world, but we need nourishment, Right? When he says, Thomas, come put your hand here and your hand here, he's saying, touch me. I'm a real person. I'm not a spirit. I'm not a phantasm. I'm not some other thing. I am flesh and blood. That's who he is. John Calvin said this. I got this quote from someone this week, and I was super happy that I got it. It says, he clothed himself in our poverty in order to transfer 
to us his riches. He took upon himself our weakness in order to strengthen us by his power. He assumed our mortal condition so as to give us immortality. He descended to earth to raise us to heaven. That's a good, good quote. Without Jesus being a man, we lose our salvation. It doesn't work. Now, some of you say, hey, okay, Simon, I get it, I get it. He was a man. He was great. He was loving. He did a lot of good things. As a matter of fact, Simon, a lot of other religions know that he was a man, and they, they say the same thing. And you're right. They do say he was a person, that he existed. The Jews would say that he was a person and a teacher. Islam would say that he was a wise teacher and a prophet. Hinduism would say that Jesus was a holy man. Buddhism would say that he was a good teacher and an enlightened man. And New Age teachers would say that he was a wise moral teacher. So what's your point? Because that's not the only test. It doesn't stop there. There's more than one requirement. And this is the second part that we confess Jesus is from God. Now, while other religions would say that he was a man, historically, they would start to get really nervous to say that Jesus was from God. That would start to make them waffle. But it's even more that he's more than he's from God, it's that he is God. And that's what's being said. John is saying that we have to affirm his humanity and his deity as well. We would use the phrase fully God and fully man to describe that. Maybe you've heard us say that from the front at times. And I always laugh when people say that Jesus was a good teacher. And here's why. Because he said he was God. That's weird. Unless you are. And so you say, well, and so there's many people who say, Jesus never said that he was God, Simon. Well, I'm just going to read a little bit here. See, I've done my research. I, I have some ammo. I'm planning on using it right now. In John 14, don't get me laughing. You know what happens when that happens. Uh, 8 through 11 says this, Philip said to them, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. I'm not a rocket scientist, but it sounds like he's saying that he's God. Well, maybe you don't see that too. So let's go back to uh, John 5. Here we go. John 5, this is how his comments were received by the Jewish leaders. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So the message that he gave was clearly received in a very specific way of what he was saying about who he was. Well, we can go to some more in John 8. John 8, 58 says this, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, 
But Jesus hid himself and went out into the temple. So you're wondering, like, that I, what does that mean, that I am? If you know your Bible, he's actually talking about a reference that goes all the way back in the Old Testament with Moses when the burning bush was there. And, they, and he's like, you're going to go and tell my people to do all these things, Moses, and you're going to free my people. And he's like, well, who should I say sent me? I am has sent you. That is the name that God gave himself. And so Jesus quotes, I am. There's a reason why they picked up stones. It wasn't like, oh, you like Popeye? I am what I am. Like, no, that's not why they were going to stone him. He said, I am God. And they're like, you're blaspheming. We're going to kill you. And you're like, Simon, you only quote from John. Well, hold on. In Mark, Mark 14 61 through 64, this is just before Jesus is going to be crucified. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Do you think that he claimed to be God? Do you think his audience understood what he was saying? Okay, we're all in agreement. This is so easy. C.S. Lewis said this. And I, I found this quote. And I'm like, gosh, this is just so good. He says this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg. I love that. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else is a, else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not let that open to us. He did not intend to. Some would take that idea of C.S. Lewis and they'd say that, that Jesus is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. And you got to make a choice, but you can't say that he was just a good teacher. This is why John starts his book in 1 John of in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. See, these two great tests will tell us everything that we need to know about someone who teaches the Word of God and who tries to peddle a new way of thinking about the person and the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. We have to understand that. And then verse 4 makes this really great statement that's good for us. And I think you need to understand that not only is it a statement, it's a statement that John has made six times already in this letter. And we're not even done with the letter. He says, little children, you are from God. You know, why does he keep saying that? Like, is he just running out of material? He's like, oh, this is a good filler. I'll put this in there. You know, and maybe this is happening in your house, maybe it doesn't. Like when someone that you love or care about leaves, you say, love you. When they come home, you're like, love you. And when they're having a bad day, you tell them you love them. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a child. Why? Why do we tell them we love them all the time? Because the world is constantly on us that we're not loved and we're not cared for. 
And we want to be louder and more frequent than the world to know that you are loved, that you are cared for. We do it with our kids so they know that when the world rejects them and puts them down and makes them feel horrible, that there is a love that transcends any issue that they're going through. And John is saying the same thing. Little children, you are from God. Know your position. Know who you are. Know that you have the Lord of the universe that is with you and that you are his child and you have the access. We talked about the access when we showed that picture, right? That's the access that we have with God now. That's important for us to understand. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your life in his, you have salvation and you are a child of God and no one will take you from the Father's hands. And then he tells us that what it, it seems like the world is winning. It just feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Can we just, like, it feels like the world's winning. It feels like the belief systems of the enemy are moving forward faster than God's word. And it feels like everything is upside down. The enemy's taking more ground. And it feels like that God is losing in this battle for truth and for righteousness and for godliness. And John gives us the hero verse today, Right? In verse 4, we have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is our hero verse. That is what we need to hear as Christians of who we are. And there's two he's in this statement. The first he is the Holy Spirit in us. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit that resides in you. Greater is he who is in you. That's the Holy Spirit. Then he who is in the world, well, that he is Satan, who is in this world, who is running amok and causing devastation all over. Now, if you understand this, this will change the way you live. If you know who you are in God, if you know that God is more powerful, if you know that the Holy Spirit resides in you, it's almost like you're invincible. They're like, if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is in me, what can stop me? What powers does the enemy have against the God of the universe? And you start to think and live differently. You wonder, why do missionaries go to these places where they know they're probably going to die? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They understand it and they believe it and they're sold out. There is nothing more dangerous than a man or a woman who has no fear. And when it is for the Lord, they are a force to be reckoned with. And that lack of fear is great because it doesn't come from within them. It comes from the filling of the Holy Spirit in their life. When the Bible talks about Christians and how they live, there's two words that come to the surface. And we've talked about them here in our study in Acts. Bold and full of courage is the common words that are used to describe the Christian and how they live in a society that would want to kill them. We, were, we did this in the book of Acts, right? We looked at Peter and we looked at John and how they responded when they would go before the Pharisees, when they go before the Sanhedrin, when they would be told not to do that, when they would get beat, when they would get trashed. And they said they were bold and courageous because they understood that God was with them and in them and allowed them to press into anything. And you know what their mentality was? The worst they can do is kill me and then I'm with Jesus. So I win no matter what. That's, re that's the reality of how they're living their life. And, and maybe you're wondering why the world is the way that it is right now and why it's moving at this speed. Well, he, he, John tells us. 
They are from the world, and they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. They live in an echo chamber because they don't understand God's voice. They don't understand who He is and why He does what He does. And so therefore, they reject God's truth, and they take a lesser broken truth that ultimately will fail them. In the garden, the devil made a promise. Did God really say, will you surely die? He wanted them to change what was perfect for a lesser thing. He wanted them to trust in something other than God. And here's the thing. He knows that it's lesser. He knows that it won't fulfill. He knows that it won't satisfy because he is a liar. The Bible would call him the father of lies. He knows how this ends. And he wants to take you with him because he hates you and wants you to believe the lies that there is something better than God. And there isn't. Then he says, if you know God, if you are a child of God, then you will listen to us. Now, who's the us here? The apostles, the first-hand eyewitnesses to Jesus, inspired by God to write what we have in the Bible today so that we would be obedient children, trusting God and following Him. And this tells us how we can know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, how do we do this? Like, what do we do with this? Well, there's a few things that I want to give you that we can look at for some guidance as we kind of press into things. The first one is this. Don't be a lazy listener. If you look at what John does, he takes the responsibility off of the communicator and he puts it on the hearer. As a hearer, don't be lazy. Don't just go, okay. Well, pastor said it. Well, maybe pastor's wrong. You kind of need to know what's true. You need to study your Bible. You need to research. You need to read. You need to compare what they say and what God's word is. You need to examine it. If God's word is our standard, we need to become so familiar with it that we can see things from a mile away. Like we can spot it so far off. Now, I was thinking about this, and I used to be a runner when I thought that that was fun. And then I stopped. I came to my senses, and I stopped doing that. I'm like, I could just drive someplace. It's so much easier. And what I found was I would go with my dog, and I had this English Springer Spaniel. Her name's Derby. She's super fun. She likes everyone more than me. But we would go running, and I would do off-leash running with her. And if you're like, what's off-leash running? Think about it, and then you'll know what it is. You just take her the leash, and she runs with you. And so we would run um, underneath the California aqueduct, and then we would run up through the mountains. And so that breed of dog is a hunting dog. And so they will flush, they, they flush animals out. So squirrels, rabbits, pheasants, any kind of bird. And so she dials in to what's going on. And she can see them normally, when she isn't lazy, really far away. And she'll kind of pause. And she'll do the point thing. You're like, oh, she's like, you know, lifted leg and, and look and nose. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Keep running. We're going. And so she'll do this thing where she'll see and she'll point and she'll see it. Because she knows what to look for. She knows what smells are in the air. She can see the movement. And she knows that is something that she needs to go after. We need to be like Derby when it comes to heresy. 
We need to understand it so well that we can see it a mile away from so far off. They're like, that's not right. That's what's wrong. Why and how do you do that? Because you come familiar with what it is that you know. Two, worship the right Jesus, not a counterfeit one. Jesus is not just a person to read about, but a person to be in relationship with. The more you're in relationship with Jesus, the more you know who he is. The more you'll see what he cares about, what he dislikes, what he said about himself, who he claimed to be, why he came. We need to study the life of Jesus constantly. And we also need to understand that he isn't just God. He isn't just man. He is both fully God and fully man. We need to come to that conclusion. We need to understand that is the right Jesus. That is what the Bible says is the right Jesus, fully God and fully man. Three, whose voice do you heed? See, you need to listen carefully to what a teacher is saying. And what they're saying is just as important as what they're not saying. You need to understand that when there are things omitted about the character and the nature of God, that should cause you to wonder why those things are being omitted. Are they trying to change the person, the character, the nature of Jesus Christ in a way that he was never intended to be known? Oh, Jesus was a great moral teacher, then we should all really, we should really take what Jesus said to heart. Yeah, because he's God. That's why we should take it to heart. Not because he's a swell guy. I mean, let's, let's be real. Like he, there's authority in what he said, and the Scripture would say all the time that he had authority when he spoke because he wrote everything. That's why. We need to understand whose voice do we heed, and within that, we need to look at who's following these teachers. What do they look like? How do they act? Do they look and reflect who Jesus is? You can learn a lot from a teacher by who's in the room. Look around. Four, we need to grow in our discernment collectively and individually. In Acts 17, we get this really cool picture of what this looks like. I'm going to start in verse 10, but you'll pick up on verse 11. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away at night to Berea, and when they arrived, they, were in, uh, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I love like their model makes so much sense that we would do. So there are going to be things like Paul came. Paul's great. He wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. Kind of knows what he's talking about. He would come and say, hey, here's the Old Testament. Here's what it says about the Messiah. Let me tell you about Jesus. This is who the Messiah is. And this is, this is who he is. This is what he did. And this is what it means. Did the Bereans just accept it? No. They said, okay, well, you said some very interesting things. This, this, is, this is encouraging. Now let's go make sure it's not wrong. They would go back to the scriptures and the scrolls and they would read through it to make sure that it was accurate. And then they would be like, ah, it is true. We accept this. We need to be like the Brians as well. We need to be like a Brian Derby. That's what we need to be. I don't know if that exists. I don't think it does. 
Five, do you believe that Jesus has come in the flesh and have you confessed Jesus as God? Every Christian in some part of their walk has had to make this distinction. They've had to claim this, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he lived the perfect life, that he died for my sins, that he went to the cross for me and took my penalty, and that he is God. Maybe you've been coming to your church your whole life because it's just what you do. Well, my parents did, my grandparents did, so I'm here, and this is what you do on Sundays. I don't know why, but I'm here. If you haven't done this, you need to understand, do you even know who Jesus is? And I would say this, we, we have a lot of people that have been coming and showing up, and I've been so encouraged. I've been trying to meet with everyone who, who comes and visits, and, and I'm hearing their story and where they're coming from, and and I'm starting to hear that people, they're learning about Jesus for the first time and understanding who this man is that came. And I would say that if you're coming and you're hearing this and you're like, I've never gotten to that point, that there is an opportunity today for you to confess that Jesus has come in the flesh and Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died for your sins. I would encourage you, if that is you today, I would love to talk with you. When I'm done and I'm done up here, I'm going to stand off on the side. If you're like, I feel like that God is calling me to him, and I, and I believe this, I want to talk with you. We got room in the tank on Easter. We can keep dunking all day long. Eventually, I'll bring you up. I swear. It won't keep you down forever. It's just that you'll come up. Six. Are there people that you need to have stop influencing you? Who's influencing you? Who are you allowing into your heart? Because as you listen, read, study, you are allowing people to speak a truth, maybe a truth, maybe a lie into your life. Do you understand that? Like, maybe there's people you listen, well, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I listen to this, you know, this music or this show, or I watch this news channel, and you're like, I watch that news channel, and you're like, I'm angry all the time. Maybe you stop watching news. Like, maybe that's what needs to happen. Or I read this paper. I read these articles. Who are you allowing to influence your life? What do they say about the person and the nature of Jesus Christ? Now, I get it. There's people you listen to, but I would say this. If you're listening to people that, that don't love Jesus, it's okay. There's truth there sometimes. Sometimes they stumble into truth. That happens. But do you know what is truth and what isn't? Are you allowing them to speak in your life in such a way that you're starting to waver in what you believe that the Bible would totally say is true? Like, well, maybe it didn't say that. Maybe this is how it works. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change. We hold this as our standard. We stand on this for all truth that we can know. We don't move from it. And maybe there's some people that you need to stop listening to. This week, there were some things I was like, you know what? I just don't think I want this in my life anymore. And I'm like, and my life still continued. I'm still happy. As a matter of fact, I'm happier in my life not having those voices talking to me anymore. And I'm like, why didn't I do this so long ago? Because I want more Jesus than I want more of the world. And that's what I'm asking you to. Like, man, 
It's okay to watch movies and tea. It's okay to do that. It's okay to listen to whatever music you want. But is, it, is that your primary source or not? I want to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time where we can come together and we could just open your word, that you would speak to us, that you would open us to understanding more of who you are. That as we maybe think through these questions, if there's areas where we're feeling convicted, Lord, I ask that you would, you would cause us to pause right now. That we would, we would talk to you. If there's things that we know that we shouldn't be doing, let us confess those right now to you. He says that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess. Let us confess. If there's areas where we need to be encouraged, like let us just be encouraged by what you're doing. That we are a child of God. That greater is, is you that is in us than that he is who in the world. That, that gives us the boldness and the courage to step out in faith and do that. And Lord, if there's someone here today for the first time who doesn't know you, I ask that today would be the day that they would come to salvation. That we could talk and pray. That we'd see another person one for your kingdom and for your family. That we could welcome in another child of God into the family of God. We love you. We thank you for your discernment and your wisdom. We thank you for your word, that it would guide us and lead us. And we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who came in the flesh and who was fully God and fully man, died for our sins. Pray this in his name. Amen.